Good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Nick for pinch hitting and giving Philip a much deserved day off. It was great to hear that song, Unstoppable God. I haven't heard that in a bit, so it was awesome to think about uh, God's unstoppable uh, presence and how we all need it at this time right now. We're continuing our series called Love Is, where we're thinking about aspects of Christian love that sometimes we don't think about all that much. And I think specifically this one today is one that I know that I really needed to think about in here, and I hope that it is for you as well. And that is very simply that love is shown to us through creation. That it is a chance for us as we think about and, and dwell on things that are outside that we get a chance to see the heart and love of our creator. There's a, a famous photo that turned 30 years old actually this year. And here's a picture of it. It's called the pale blue dot photo. And you can Google it on your phone at home and you can get a better image of it if you would like, although it doesn't ever really get all that big. Sonia very humorously put on uh, my wall a picture of uh, how people think or how pastors think that church services are viewed and it shows like group people cheering like it's a Super Bowl moment and then the second picture is how people are actually viewing the service and someone in bed on uh, their phone and trust me I get it that you aren't like cheering for Jesus like it's the Super Bowl though perhaps you you should be uh, but I know that you probably have your phone out so that's fine you can get perhaps a better image of the pale blue dot photo but it doesn't get all that big because it's very, very small. And so 30 years ago, there was an astronomer named Carl Sagan. I don't have the quote up with me because I want you to be looking at that image, whether it's next to me or on your phone. And Carl Sagan said, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. This image was taken by the Voyager 1 spacecraft as it looked back at Earth on its mission. Sagan continued, on it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. You might wonder sometimes why it's hard to get up on Tuesday. When you start to take a step back and think not only of the creation that we can see on earth around us, when you think about the, the cosmos and everything that's here, it's almost impossible to not be struck by just how majestic it is. And we can get so caught up in all the things that we're concerned about or, or thinking about and things that are important and they deeply matter. But think about how all of us are just on a pale blue dot. And in the grand scheme of things, looks almost like nothing. It's important for us to think sometimes about the majesty of creation and the story that it tells us. Something that I've noticed, at least in my neighborhood, perhaps it's true of yours as well, that as human life has slowed down quite a bit, people aren't moving around 
quite as much. There's not people outside as, as much doing things that they were before. I've noticed that birds are chirping more than ever. I don't know if perhaps I just never noticed it before, but I hear them all around me. And it's not just birds. As cities have been less busy, as there's left, less traffic, there's been some amazing images that have been captured of animals in unique places. A few of them that I found, you could look at these forever. One of them, um, a group of mountain goats on the streets of Wales. I wish it was Wales and Wales, but it's mountain goats walking the streets of Wales. And a wild boar and babies in Israel. What do you call a wild boar baby? Go ahead, guess on the chat if you want. It's a piglet, so kind of boring, but it's a piglet. Ironically, also what you would call a pig on fire. I'll be here all week on that. Another image that I found great, donkeys at an ATM in India getting out some cash because they wanted to make sure they had some cash in case things got real weird. And perhaps most alarming, a puma on the streets of Chile. And that is not the kind of animal that you want to walk, walk into as you're just walking down the street going about your business. So as the world has slowed down in lots of different ways, wildlife is, is moving into the city. There's pictures like this in Los Angeles as well. Animals have, have come back into the cities that sometimes humans have, have left a little bit alone as we've been on lockdown. And I was thinking about that. And I think one of the problems with our world today is a bear will never walk through my yard. And that's a good thing because I'm not sure I could wrestle a bear. I'm pretty sure, but I'm not 100% sure. But a bear will never walk through my yard. And I actually think that's a bad thing. Because at some moments, I think it's really important for us to recognize that we are simply not in control of the world. And there are things that we've pushed way off to the side of our lives that we don't think about all that often. And it makes us comfortable and it helps make things easier. And like I said, I'm super glad that dangerous animals don't walk through my yard on a regular basis. But I think as a human, it actually might be a good thing. Because you aren't in control. And that's hard medicine to take, but that is something that we are all swallowing right now during 2020. And that's not a surprise to God. And it shouldn't necessarily be a surprise to us. Scripture begins with God creating the world and the crescendo is male and female is created and God brings order out of chaos. Creation still is a picture of how we can see the love and heart of our God. There are many passages that I could bring up that discuss this, but one example is Psalm 8, 1 through 4. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the pale blue dot, the moon and stars which you've set in place, what is humanity? You care about them. 
All human beings, they matter to you. As I think about all the world that is around me, all this stuff that's just happening that I don't even necessarily think about, or because of the comfort in our lives, I don't have to like think about how to bear-proof my house. When I think about that stuff just for a minute, I realize how beautiful our world is, how majestic, how big it is. Our theology needs to start with an understanding of the goodness of the creation around us and that beauty and awe help us to connect to the heart of God. Sometimes in church, I think we can get the wrong message about this. There are several hymns that we used to sing growing up that were beautiful and and maybe nice melodies, but a song like All Fly Away, it's a nice hymn. But the basic message of that song is one day I'm going to get out of this terrible world and God's going to just take me to this space and I'm just going to like worship him in this space that is very much not like here. And some of our songs are like that, like this place is terrible and I can't wait to get out of here. And I think that that message is is somewhat biblical, that God is going to reign in the world, but it's not about like us escaping this world to a Geico commercial in the sky. It's about God bringing the reign of heaven here. It's about God bringing a new creation here and restoring the creation to what it was intended to be. So often when we talk about theology and we talk about God, we act like the story begins in Genesis chapter 3. When sin enters the world, when Adam and Eve make a choice that leads down this path of brokenness and destruction, But let's remember, church, that the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1 and there's Genesis chapter 2. And in chapter 1, God creates the world, brings order out of chaos, and over and over again, the repeated message is, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And then humans are created. And humans are very good. Tell somebody near you, you are very good. That is what Genesis chapter 1 says about you. And so often the messages that we get is, oh, you're just a terrible person. This is a terrible life. Let's just get out of here one day. No, you are very good. You have great potential. The world around you is good. The world has great potential. Praise God for that. And then in Genesis chapter 2, the story continues. Adam's a little bit lonely. He gets the job of naming all the animals. None of them work out for him. So God's like, all right, I guess I got to do something about this. God creates Eve. And Adam says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which basically means you complete me. Where you are weak, I'm strong. And where I'm weak, you're strong. We can build this life Together And it ends, Genesis chapter 2, with the beautiful verse, they were naked and they felt no shame. Which is what we are going back to one day, that we have perfect relationship with each other. And perfect relationship with God. And we don't know how much time was in between the end of Genesis chapter 2 and then Genesis chapter 3. Measuring it seems weird. I mean, Who knows how much time it took in in our understanding of time. But scripture's message is that one day we're getting back to that. And you can participate in understanding that more now. 
We need to be Christians who have Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 in our minds and understands there is so much potential for good in us, even though we are broken. And one of the ways we see that is in the world around us. That's the beginning of scripture. And then Revelation chapter 21 tells us this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the vision for how things will one day be. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There is no longer any. See, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. God will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God is on the throne and says, I'm making everything new. And God says, write these things down. They are trustworthy and true. God one day will reign and bring heaven here. And we anticipate that day. One of the places where we see God's good reign is in creation and the ways that we connect to God outside. Carl Sagan, who had that famous pale blue dot quote, he wasn't a believer. And eventually, as he writes about the pale blue dot, he says, it appears that nothing will save us from ourselves. I would agree with the fact that he's saying it appears that we truly can't save ourselves. But we lean into the fact that we have the image of God in us as believers. We have great potential for good as we participate in God's world and allow God's reign to work through us more and more right now. But then, through the act of Jesus dying on the cross, through the story of scripture, we see that God is working to make all things new. So yeah, nothing can save us from ourselves because we need something outside of ourselves. Especially, During this time, I think we need to understand a message. One of the oddest books in scripture is the book of Job. If you aren't familiar with Job, Job is one who is considered to be upright and blameless. He does everything right. And Satan and God are having a conversation, which is very troubling. Satan says, look, you've given Job everything. And if I just took away all of it, then there's no way he would worship you. And so Satan and God make this weird bet. I would not base your theology on this book at all, but it's a weird bet that happens at the beginning of the book of Job. And Satan says, if I take everything away from him, then there's no way he's going to worship you. And Satan begins to do that. Everything is stripped away. Job's kids, he gets sick, his crops, all of his stuff that once he would have said was important and things that were really meaningful to him, all of a sudden it's gone. And there's this great back and forth between Job and his friends as they're trying to make sense of it. Some scholars actually believe it's the oldest book in the Bible. It's one that deals with the issue that we still question at times, like why does suffering happen? Like what does it have to do with us that there's this suffering that goes on? And again, I wouldn't necessarily put all of my theology there. It's a very odd book. 
But I think Job teaches us something about this moment. Because Job has every right to be angry about what's happened to him. And he could spend the rest of his days just becoming an angrier and angrier old man. Totally justified. Because what has happened to him is awful. And I know for all of us, as we have experienced the difficult, the difficult times of 2020, we've had some really hard stuff. And maybe you are experiencing it way more difficultly than me. And I know people are, and I get that. And if we were to have coffee and we would have a conversation, I think I would say, you know what, you're right. You deserve to be bitter. You deserve to be angry about injustice in the world. And that's totally fair. You deserve to be angry. You've lost your job. You deserve to be angry. You've lost somebody who's very important to you. You deserve to be angry because so much of life that was worth living was canceled in this year. And you had your wedding coming up. or It was graduation day. And you always looked forward to that day. It's just not going to be the same. So we would sit and we'd have coffee and you'd tell me what you're resentful about. And I would say, yeah, I think you deserve to be angry. In fact, one of Job's friends who don't, doesn't always have good uh, advice, his name is Eliphaz the Terminite, which is a really terrible name, um, the patron saint of termites. But in one of his moments as he's talking to Job, and usually it's actually pretty rough advice that his friends give him, and it's very not compassionate. Um, he says in Job chapter 5, resentment kills a fool. And we all know you don't want to be the fool. Simon, actually, our, our tech guru in the back, he's wearing a Mr. T, I pity the fool t-shirt today. And we know you, you pity the fool. Resentment kills a fool. You have a right. Because of what's happened during this year, because of what's happened perhaps even previous this year, you could choose to look at your life and be angry and bitter. You know, I've come to believe that life isn't as much about what actually happens to you, but how you tell the story. You have a right to just die a bitter old man or a bitter old woman, and perhaps way more than I do. Job who would join you in having that right. And I think perhaps more justifiably than us, because there's this weird bet that goes on, God comes and finally speaks. And if I'm God, I come to Job and say, hey, you know, let me just put my arm around you. Sorry, buddy. This was really weird, but, you know, I just had this bet with Satan and it's terrible. I'm like, sorry about the whole kids thing that you lost all your kids. I'm going to give you some others. I know that doesn't do it justice. Like like one for one doesn't work. Like I I get the math, Job. I have a father's heart. Like I, I understand this doesn't fully work out for you. But, you know, 3,000 years from now, people are going to still be talking about you. And you're going to get a book of the Bible named after you. And a lot of people are going to be blessed by this very honest look at suffering. So I'm, I'm really sorry about this whole bet with Satan thing. But in the end, you know, people are going to still talk about you. So is that enough? Like, I don't know. Is that, is that good? I mean, if I'm God, that's probably the way that I approach it. There's at least like a, a little bit of positive that we can focus on. It's fascinating what God does is God tries to get Job to not just focus on what he should be angry about. The beginning of the word resentment should actually be a clue for us. It starts with resend, right? 
So you can choose to be bitter about what you maybe really deservedly so deserve to be bitter about. You can keep resending that message to yourself over and over and over again. In fact, just think right now about someone that you're angry with, how you've been treated unfairly. Think about that situation. I know your blood is boiling a little bit right now. There's people who come to my mind that in my past, I thought of I've been treated unfairly by that person or in that situation. So think about that person. Think about Job, who's lost everything. Not only does he lose everything, he then gets boils all over his body. God comes to Job after a very long time. God doesn't speak until chapter 38. It's a very long period of time. He gets a lot of weird advice from the Terminite and the other people. And finally, God speaks. It's fascinating to me what God says. God basically says to him, there's so much going on in this world that you just don't even know about. There's all of these things that are happening in creation. An example in Job chapter 39, God says, Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawns? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wild. They leave, do not return. God basically asks all these questions about nature, which if I'm Job, I'm like, I don't know if that's all that helpful, but Job actually responds very positively and basically says by the end of the book, I I trust that you are God and I'm not. And I think about my life. And I've had moments where I could just continue to resent things and be angry and be bitter and upset. You know what helps me? Going to look at the ocean for a while. Or to be up on a mountain. To look even at a tree in my front yard. To pause and to consider how it's very likely that that tree is going to be there long after I die. Yes, there's stuff in your life and my life that we deserve to be angry about. But what we do when we just focus on that thing and we don't allow God's good creation to tell a story to us, is we forget that God is in control. And you can choose to be bitter and resentful. You could choose to be angry, but what a terrible way to waste a life. Know that God deeply cares about your brokenness and your hurt and that situation. You tell those things to God, but then can you spend some time connecting to the good creation that's around you? There are seven billion people that live on this pale blue dot. We are suspended in outer space. And I know when we think of outer space, we think of Star Trek or Star Wars, but we are in outer space. We move Scientists say at 1,000 miles an hour. You wonder sometimes why we get motion sick. 
All of this stuff is happening outside of our control. And it's going on all around us. Will we trust the God who keeps literally the world spinning? Will we trust the God who gives us these beautiful pictures in creation? Can you find some way, as perhaps you're locked at home, to get outside a bit and to see that the world is still moving on? There's a lady who came to church many years ago. One of the things I miss most about coronavirus time is that I don't get a chance to connect with our new members because generally I'll go and grab lunch or dinner with some of our new members and just get to know a little bit of their story. And she was from Ohio and she just moved out to Los Angeles. And it was a sunny day uh, around lunchtime that we stepped out of having lunch at the restaurant. I always remember it was right around the church. She looked up at the mountains that are beyond our church and she sighed for a minute and she said, those are just so beautiful. I got to be honest, I'd never even noticed them before, really. <laughs> even though, oddly enough, the mountains are literally in our church logo. But for someone from Ohio, these mountains are some of the most majestic they've ever seen. So much of creation and what goes on is almost just like we consider it background noise to our more important story. And that's tragic because it has a lot to teach us. I've heard that perhaps the most significant theological song that there is is God's got the whole world in his hands. And we teach that to kids. It would be so powerful if we could learn it as adults. I know as I think about our world today, I can start to think about trivial things like are the Dodgers going to be able to complete their season or not? But I also can have some real legit concerns as well. My son was starting first grade this year and he'll be starting next week online. And I totally understand the reason for that. But as a parent, I'm thinking, what's first grade going to look like? And how can I best come alongside him and partner him to help educate him as best as I possibly can as we're doing this online thing? And you too, you have some trivial things perhaps that you're a little bit concerned about. You have some real things that you're worrying about. Could you get outside and spend some time in creation? That's one of the greatest things about Los Angeles is that if you're a beach person, we have that for you. You can drive an hour, get to the beach. If you're a mountain person, you can drive an hour, get to a mountain. If you're a desert person, I don't know if there are desert people um, as compared to mountains and beaches. If you're a desert person, you, know, you can get just an hour and get to the desert. One of the nice, greatest things about LA is that you can spend time looking at some of these amazing things that we all take for granted that some Ohio person or Midwest person would say, I can't believe you have that. You don't even look at it. We have great blessings all around us. Can you spend some time acknowledging it this week? Maybe get your hands dirty with the soil in some of your neighborhood. Spend some time thinking about all the stuff that's going on all around you because this is a very hard 
year, but scripture tells us that God still communicates love to us through creation, that the world is good and we can connect with God there. So I'm lucky bears don't walk through my front yard. It's nice, but it's also an issue because we don't spend time, some time with awe about all the things that are going on that are beyond our control. God speaks to us through creation. May we stop and listen. Because for someone like Job, who deserves to complain, God says, go and see all of this wonder that's all around you that you didn't even notice. May we choose to see the goodness in the world. May we remember that God says about us that we have very good potential. May we be people who understand that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is where the Bible actually starts and it's where it's headed in the book of Revelation. And may we choose to see the love and goodness of God that is all around us. So are you a beach person or a mountain person or a desert person? As you think about whatever is going on in your life this week, I hope you find some time to get outside and recognize the goodness that God has for all of us. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful that you have created a good world for us to enjoy. A lot of stuff has been canceled during this year, but may we recognize that the goodness of the world around us has not been canceled. May we choose to spend some time contemplating and thinking about that as we struggle during this year. May we recognize that this is a good world that you've created for us and we see your love and your hand and your heart in it. Father, may we connect our hearts and our lives to you one more time as we sing and as we take communion together. May we step outside for a minute and see the good world that you've created. May we recognize that one day you will bring more goodness here. It's in your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.